recent revelations suggest an intricate early writing system. YouTube Shorts. Okay. Um, public and command. Let's see what's going on with Midas Touch. Wacko, Kimberly, Gargoyle, Deeply Unwell, and Spiral to New Low. Muddy Waters, birthday today. GOP lawyer leaders get instantly debunked for latest dangerous lies. One hour ago, Trump makes complete fool out of himself in worst speech of the year. Are you having trouble paying for health care, rent, gas, groceries, no. and other bills? Then you've got to see this. But uh, we had him in Iowa, and I want to just tell you I'm really honored. Uh, this is a great turnout. This is a beautiful section. They said they said you broke the all-time record in this building, so that's pretty good. Yeah, right. High school gym. But I'm thrilled to be back with thousands of proud, hard-working American patriots in the heartland of America. It really is. People. You built you built this country. That was Donald Trump bragging about the crowd size in a high school gym in Fort Dodge, Iowa. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. One of the reasons I think his speech in Fort Dodge, Iowa, was perhaps his worst of the year, is I think it highlights more than ever, especially as we head into 2024, the total lack of character that he has. And I know we know that, but this specific moment that took place at this speech at a high school gym where normally students are supposed to be engaged in recreational activity. And Donald Trump rented that gym out and turned it into an utter perversion. You know, a high school teacher from that high school in Fort Dodge reached out to me and said the following. She said, how do we ever prepare our students to treat their neighbors and classmates with respect when this type of conduct by Donald Trump is acceptable and taking place in this gym in the high school? The teacher says, because trust me, the students, our youth are paying attention to his behavior. And she was talking about his entire speech, but there was a specific moment there that I want to play for you now. And then I want to also play another clip from when he was in office. Remember when he gave that speech in front of the Boy Scouts and he talked about a billionaire friend of his who engaged in sexual activity on a yacht. And that's what he was telling to the young kids and the Boy Scouts. The first clip I want to show you is this is Donald Trump from the speech that he just gave this past weekend, where on his own, unprompted, while no one's talking about this anymore, he's speaking about this in his speech, where he's talking about how he doesn't like golden showers, and he's it's disgusting. He's talking about sex acts here, and he's bringing it up on his own as part of his stump speech. I'm going to play this clip right now. Play it. He was with four hookers. You think that was good that night to go up and tell my wife, it's not true, darling, I love you very much. It's not true. Actually, that one she didn't believe because she said he's a germaphobe. He's not into that, you know? He's not into golden showers, as they say they call them. He's not. I don't like that idea. No, I didn't. I thought that would be a big problem. I was going to have a rough night, but... That one she was very good on. She said, no. I mean, think about it. That's his message to voters. And legacy media normalize it. Right-wing media covering this like the leaders of our country are supposed to be these depraved, 
WWE cosplay fascist characters is horrific. But if you rewind just a little bit, we shouldn't forget these things headed into 2024. Remember when Donald Trump took office and he gave that speech in front of the Boy Scouts? And one of the main topics that he talked about when speaking in front of the kids was how he has a friend who spent all of these years partying on yachts and having sex and drugs and, and all of these things here. Play this clip since Trump in 2017. Play the clip. For a tremendous amount of money. And he went out and bought a big yacht. And he had a very interesting life. I won't go any more than that because you're Boy Scouts, so I'm not going to tell you what he did. Should I tell you? Should I tell you? Oh, you're Boy Scouts, but you know life. You know life. So, look at you. Who would think this is the Boy Scouts, right? So he had a very, very interesting life. And the company that bought his company was a big conglomerate. And they didn't know anything about building homes. And they didn't know anything about picking up the nails and the sawdust and selling it and the scraps of wood. This was a big conglomerate based in New York City. And after about a 10-year period, they were losing a lot with it. It didn't mean anything to them. And they couldn't sell it. So they called William Levitt up. And they said, would you like to buy back your company? And he said, yes, I would. He so badly wanted He got bored with this life of yachts and sailing and all of the things he did in the south of France and other places. You won't get bored, right? You know, truthfully, your workers, you'll get bored too, believe me. Of course, having a few good years like that isn't so bad. And that's why that speech in Fort Dodge, Iowa, is important. It's a reflection point, a reflection point on character. In a moment, I'm going to compare and contrast. I'm going to show you Donald Trump, and I'm going to show you President Joe Biden on split screens. First, though, I want to show you, at his other speeches, Donald Trump's doing things like this. <sighs> and they're proud, they're clapping, they're going crazy. I can't do it, Mama. I can't. Mama. And he's doing things like this. You can do it, baby. I love you so much. And she and just bad news, bad things are happening. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, Mama didn't do it. Did you know that your temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on your mate sheets? Are no more gross. Stop sleep. Is so. You may be Jeez. saying, well, why is he doing that? MyMiracle.com slash Midas and use the code Midas to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40%. Again, that's TryMiracle.com slash Midas, T-R-Y-M-I-R-A-C-L-E dot com slash M-E-I-D-A-S to treat yourself or friend or loved one this holiday season. And again, I reflect on the damage this is just causing to our youth, to, to our country. It is embarrassing that this is what's taking place. And you may be saying, well, why is he doing that? He tells a story during his stump speech after talking about how much he loves Viktor Orban, the authoritarian leader of Hungary and President Xi and Kim Jong-un. And after he talks about how he is proud that the Taliban called him your excellency and, and he doesn't think they would ever call uh, President Biden your excellency. 
Um, he does a routine where he mocks transgender people and he does that lifting noise to mimic someone trying to compete against a transgender person um, who can't lift the same amount of weights. That, that, that's, that's what that is. There's almost no context at all where that's ever any way appropriate to do. But in case you were wondering why is he doing that, that that's why he's doing that. Let's just show a few other examples uh, when it comes to character right now. Remember when Donald Trump was giving a speech and there was a baby crying? President Biden was giving a speech and there was a baby crying. Let's play the split screen. Just see how they both react to that. Because sometimes you just learn a lot about people's character in these small moments. Play this clip. The worst happens that it's okay. Kids are allowed to do that with me. <laughs> don't worry about it, all right? I don't blame her. Is it him or her? I don't blame her. <laughs> Ripped us absolutely to shreds. Actually, I was only kidding. You can get the baby out of here. That's all right. Don't worry. I, I think she really believed me that I love having a baby crying while I'm speaking. That's okay. People don't understand. That's okay. Speaking of these split screens and showing character, Donald Trump promising falsely like he always does he makes all these false promises that he's going to bring infrastructure and build all these infrastructure projects he didn't do it he just lies about it you'll see on the split screen president biden who passed an infrastructure bill getting it done and actually building the project that donald trump claimed he was going to build and donald trump had at that point in time he controlled both chambers in congress it could have been very easy to get that done. In fact, even when he didn't control both chambers, infrastructure is something that Democrats would have been supportive of. It, it could have been a win for him. But watch the difference here between lies and someone getting it done. Play the clip. Infrastructure-wise, you said you're going to spend a trillion on infrastructure. We have a bridge in Cincinnati. Connects Kentucky to Cincinnati, Ohio. We're doing the plan. I've already heard about the bridge. I love the area. We're going to get it fixed. For decades, people have talked about the Brent Spence Bridge. But folks... Talking is over. The bipartisan infrastructure law, we're finally going to get it done. And here's another example of the difference between Donald Trump lying to workers and President Biden delivering for workers. If I'm elected, you won't lose one plant. You'll have plants coming into this country. You're going to have jobs again. You won't lose one plant, I promise you. A large American factory stopped production today after more than half a century. Make it in America. We're beginning to make things again. With American workers, American products, manufacturing in American plants. President Biden is set to celebrate the new contract negotiated by United Auto Workers today at a Stellantis plant set to reopen in Belvedere, Illinois. And then here, this is a, a, a moment that I remember. I'm not sure you remember it as well. After the debate in 2020, you'll just see how phony Donald Trump and Melania's relationship is. And just watch the warmth of President Biden um, and now our First Lady, Jill Biden, at the time, uh, Jill Biden. Dr. Biden, play the clip. We will keep our camera trained on the hall at the end of this, as you may know, a limited crowd present. What a dark event we have just witnessed. 
the tip of the hat to Cormac McCarthy when we say if that wasn't a mess, it'll do till the mess gets here. As difficult as that was to watch as the spouses now join both men on stage, as bracing as it is to realize this behavior is taking place in pursuit of the job we used to refer to as leader of the free world, there was an incumbent on that stage tonight, a president. So when I think about character, so important because it is who we are as a country and we need a leader who has character there should be a threshold the fact that you even have a leader of the republican party going around and saying these things again i don't care what political party you're from we should all as americans agree that that is not okay and look i get statements like this in response to when I post that story of the teacher, all of the MAGA Donald Trump trolls say things like this about the teacher. No, they didn't. That never happened, especially in an age where teachers have already taught kindergartners about golden showers and things like that. That's not happening. What, what, what are you talking about? Um, but that's how these MAGA followers are trained. So compare all of that. And let me just show you this clip. This was President Biden from a, a year ago the speech that he gave. And I just thought, that's character. That's who we want in that office. Play the clip. Not enough to stand up for democracy once a year or every now and then. It's something we have to do every single day. So this is a day not only to remember, but a day of renewal and resolve for each and every American. And our devotion to this country to the principles and embodies, to our democracy. That is who we owe those who remember today. That is what we owe one another. And that is what we owe future generations of Americans to come. I have no doubt we will do this. We will meet this significant responsibility. We'll secure our democracy together as one America, the United States of America. That's who we are. That's who your loved ones were and why they gave so much. And I'll leave you with that clip right there. And again, as I said before, to me, it's not even about Republican, Democrat, <coughs> progressive, liberal, conservative, not at all. To me, it's about character. And I think this video showed everything, which is why when I reflect on that speech in Iowa, that moment right there when Donald Trump said those disgusting things and brought it up on his own, we need to reflect on the broader issues at play here and what a threat and danger Donald Trump is to our country. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 2 million subscribers. Thanks to your support. Check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report? Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch. To keep up Those with the most important news of the day. She don't need for? no follow Instagram. She just uses Instagram. Okay, let's see here. More I always thought... Touch. Wacka, MTG deletes posts in panic. She got busted again. What's up, everyone? Coach D speaks with the Midas Touch Network. 
So Marjorie Taylor Greene is falling for conspiracies again. She fell for a conspiracy, about it, realized it was a conspiracy, and then edited the tweet. But she doesn't realize that when you edit a tweet or a post on X, there's a version history. All you mm -hmm. have to do is click edit history and you can see the original tweet that was edited to become the, the, the tweet that's up right now. What if she deleted? I'm going to show you how I did that. I screen recorded myself going to her tweet, the, the post that's up right now, clicking edit history, seeing the version history, seeing the version of the conspiracy on there. But I want you to remember something first. Remember when Marjorie Taylor Greene was voted into office? She talked about how she had fell for QAnon conspiracies. Like she <laughs> asked, hey, you know, you've posted some QAnon conspiracy things. You've, you've done interviews where you've regurgitated QAnon conspiracies. How are we to know that you're not going to do this again? And she said, you know, in an interview once, she even said on the House floor, you know, I fell for some things like everyone else did, but, you know, I won't do that anymore. Like and we've seen time and time again that she's actually fallen for things again. So recently, Mike Johnson released all the January 6th tapes. And you remember the MAGAs were excited about this because that's what they've been waiting for. They've been waiting for all the January 6th tapes because that's going to expose that January 6th was an inside job. So there was a picture and it was probably a video that was, you know, frozen and turned into a picture of a January 6th insurrectionist, someone with a MAGA hat and a mask on, holding up what everyone, what all the MAGAs are calling a badge. There's this picture of a guy and he's holding something up and they're like, look at that. That's a badge. He's holding up a badge. This guy works for the feds. This January 6th was an inside job. Well, Marjorie Taylor Greene fell for that as well. So she posted it. She saw the picture. She posted it. She posted this tweet that said, you know what? We need to investigate everyone. We need to investigate the FBI, the DOJ, all of the Democrats, everyone who was on the January 6th select committee. We need to investigate all of them. And she posts a picture of the guy holding the badge. And she says, that's a law enforcement badge in that man's hand. As I've always said, MAGA did not do this. <laughs> so then... Midas Touch Network broke the story. You can go to MidasTouchNetwork.com and read the story where it talks about how that man holding the badge that the MAGAs are calling an FBI agent, well, his name is Kevin Lyons. He was convicted of being an insurrectionist. He was given 51 months in jail. Turns out he's holding a vaping pen. He also There's also a picture of him on MidasTouchNetwork.com holding something that he stole from an office in the Capitol. He was also convicted of stealing a wallet with $150 in it. He was not a Fed. He is not a Fed. He's not holding a badge. Now, some of the MAGAs are still posting this anyway. They don't care. But Marjorie Taylor Greene decided to edit that post. Now, the admirable thing to do, if you are a member of Congress and you fell for something like this, would be to remove it and then write a retraction and say, you know what? I fell for this, and, and we shouldn't be posting misinformation. You would think she would do that, but no. She just edited it to make it look like she never made that post. And you can literally go to the post, click edit history, see the original post, and see that, yes, Marjorie Taylor care. again fell for a conspiracy, posted it, and now needed to clean it up. So here's a look 
She don't care. These people are blatant traitors. At my screen recording of me going through that original or that, that post that's up right now and seeing... None of these GOP insurrectionists should be in office right now, but Americans are so lazy and apathetic, they don't speak up about it. Everybody should call the... It, everybody should call the Justice Department and demand a special prosecutor to prosecute all these Republican traitors who took part in January 6th. Traitors who took part in January 6th. The version history of the edited post. Check it out. So this is the current tweet that's up right now. Once you scroll down on there, you'll see it says last edited 4.41 a.m. I click on that. Charge You scroll down from there, and now you have the version history with the original tweet. You click on show more, and then you'll scroll down more, and you'll see where it says that's a law enforcement badge in his hand while disguised as a Trump supporter in a MAGA hat. I've said it all along. MAGA did not do this. Turns out that's Kevin Lyons. He's holding a vaping pen. <laughs> she changed the tweet to disguise her ignorance. So as I said, the admirable thing for Marjorie Taylor Greene to do in this situation would be to remove this post. Make a new post saying, hey guys, we shouldn't be posting misinformation. Unfortunately, I fell for some misinformation. I posted some things that I shouldn't have. Now I've erased it and I just wanna say that man in that video is not holding a law enforcement badge. Turns out his name is Kevin Lyons. Turns out he is an insurrectionist. He is a MAGA insurrectionist, and we shouldn't be posting those things. You're not going to get that from her. You're going to get one of two things. She's either going to find out after seeing this post that I'm putting out that, oh, my goodness, that version history is still up there, and then she's going to delete the entire thing. And then she'll probably rewrite the same post, basically saying that MAGA didn't do this and blah, blah, blah. Or... She's just going to leave it up. She's not going to care because she realizes the people who support her, they don't care. They love her because she is a racist bigot like they are. And that's why they won't care. They won't care that she, she put up some misinformation. They won't care about her history of falling for conspiracies and things like that. They're just going to roll with it because that's what they do. The Republican Party is fundamentally unserious. Marjorie Taylor Greene is one of the leaders of the Republican Party, and she's still in her third year in... Too bad the Republicans defunded the ethics... The, um... Office of Congressional Ethics, because a lot of these people should have been expelled a long time ago. is still falling for conspiracies that she's finding online. I know she was voted in in the very gerrymandered district, so I know saying, you know, um, that, you know, we need to vote her out is hard because the people who, the district that she lives in, they love her and they're going to they're gonna stick with her anyway. But my goodness, we got to vote as many of these Republicans out as we can because many of them are still voting <clears throat> these conspiracies. Why they're wait to even, vote them they're out? They're not even editing their posts. They're not even rewriting them. So tired of people saying, like we'll wait until election to vote them out. That is morally bankrupt. And we got to do the best we can to get rid of as many of them as we can. Period. Hey, 
Hey, Might is Mighty. Love this report. Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram. She don't need no Instagram. She just uses Tristagram. See what else is new. Oh, nice. Ex-GOP strategist humiliates Scary Lake to her face in behind-the-scenes moment. Nice. Okay. I don't know why they are giving this much out. I don't know why they're giving But every American family out. needs to see this. Man, every the government is basically giving thing. me. I'm not okay with that. I want you to be able to talk whatever you guys say on the circus. I want to be able <laughs> to have conservative students not being shamed on our This is like a golden age for conservative student <laughs> speech. Here, here's the thing. You care. You say you care about the fentanyl crisis and our kids. I deep care deeply. Okay, right. So if you care so <laughs> How deeply many about this, couldn't you, couldn't you actually do something about it if you stopped the bullshit about the last election? I do believe that we can't agree that we both love America. We do. Well, I know that I love America. I do think that you were okay with Donald Trump trying to end the American experiment last time. Uh -huh. So that makes me wonder how sincere your love is. Yeah! Terry, Terry, Terry. Wait, I shouldn't say her name three times. She might appear in front of me with this filter on. Over the weekend, the person who admires Trump so much that she sought to emulate his losing strategy of denying said loss and taking it to court only to lose some more. Despite losing several lawsuits for her false election claims, Lake has publicly insisted that Riker and other Maricopa <clears throat> County state officials stole the election from her by counting hundreds of thousands of phony ballots. This is um, a candidate who really kind of modeled herself after the Trump blueprint. Yeah. Just lies, 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 just ram through it all with lies and get people to believe you uh, with your charisma. Former Arizona governor candidate Carrie Lake. Well, she's gone viral again for all the wrong reasons. After a behind-the-scenes video was released showing her sparring with Republican political consultant and former Jeb Bush communications director Tim Miller. When I say sparring, I mean how sparring would turn out if I was to spar with Floyd Mayweather. She got bodied. I'm not okay with that. I want you to be able to talk whatever you guys say on the circus. I want to be able to have conservative students not being shamed on our This is like a golden age for conservative student speech. It's like, it's the best time ever. If you're a conservative student and you want to talk, you have huge platforms. Turning, I went to watch you speak at Turning Point USA. All these kids have huge audiences that come to see them, and that's great. That's fine. They're all okay. speaking. They're not. Their speech is another threat. There weren't any cops coming to shut down the Turning Point USA thing. But here, here's the thing: you care. You say you care about the fentanyl crisis and our kids. I deep care deeply. Okay, right. So if you care so How deeply about this, couldn't you? Couldn't you actually do something about it if you stopped the bullshit about the last election? If you just acknowledged. That, that Trump had lost and acknowledged that you had lost, that you'd probably, you might, you'd probably be in good shape to do something. You probably would have won your governor's race had you, I mean, had, you, had you just talked about things people cared about instead of the election fraud. So sometimes Tim. don't you ever think to yourself, I wish I could just stop talking about this fake thing that Donald Trump made me make up so that I could actually talk about the stuff that's important? Because we agree mm -hmm. about fentanyl. I agree. I wish we could deal with that. I talked about that all the time of the campaign, Trump. I'm sorry you weren't with me. You. I'm sorry you weren't with me every step of the way. The people of Arizona <laughs> understand me, and they know me, and they care about me, and I, I care about them, and I care about them. Getting them better, freeing the people who are held politically, uh, political prisoners, yeah, absolutely. Right. I think you are still a little extreme. That's okay, though. It's good okay. to see you again. It's we can keep doing this. That's right. I'd love to. This. We have some areas of agreement. Love to. We agree on the fentanyl thing. And then you get into the other stuff. 
I'm sorry I'm not making I'm sorry I'm not making you happy. The other stuff is like, I don't know Listen, why you're touching me. The other stuff is like, you have I know. to win, is the thing. I'm sorry, I'm a mom. I'm sorry, I'm a mom. I like to touch and, too, but yeah. you know, in an interview setting, it's a little uncomfortable. I'm sorry that we don't agree on everything, but what I am not sorry about <laughs> yeah, is that I think that you, I do believe that we can't agree that we both love America. Well, I know that I love America. I do think that you were okay with Donald Trump trying to end the American experiment last time. So that makes me wonder how sincere your love is. But I do appreciate that. Thank you for your time. Good. Thank you for your time. This comes in the wake of her relentless election denialism and her support for debunked claims that the 2020 presidential election was rigged. No candidate has been more forceful in spreading Donald Trump's lies about the election than the Arizona Republican candidate for governor, Carrie Lake. I don't know about you, but who else misses President Trump? Here's who doesn't miss President Trump. Arizona Republicans who want to win elections. The Trump era has been a disaster for them at the ballot box. <coughs> we all remember Lake's 2022 governor's race with Trump's backing, in which she lost by about 17,000 votes to Democratic rival Katie Hobbs. But of course, seeking more votes from her cult hero, she refused to concede, asking a court to throw out certified election results in Maricopa County and either declare her the winner or rerun the race. You said that there were 740,000 ballots with no chain of custody. Those ballots shouldn't have been counted. Are you really saying you would throw out the ballots of 740,000 no, three no, quarters I, of a million Arizonans? I mean, those were 740,000 ballots. ballots violated chain of custody requirements in Maricopa County. In Mar I mean, first of all, it, it, it's it's not true. I mean, the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors put out a 98-page report. That is, a fact. that is a fact. We know her legal challenges were thrown out as a court found there was no evidence of misconduct. Even the best snake oil salesmen or women out there can be held accountable by voters, by the law, um, by the basic values of the country. And I, I feel like there was a little bit of uncertainty about where the public was going to be on that before the midterm elections. And the midterm elections were, in my view, a kind of a turning point where we saw people stand up for democracy and stand up for the values of the country. But Carrie Lake is in such a different place, June of 2023, than I think many people anticipated she would be in June of 2022, and that is a good thing. But here she is, back again, running for an Arizona Senate seat and is expected to face Democrat Ruben Gallego and incumbent <laughs> Kirsten Sinema in 2024. Gallego. hasn't yet confirmed she'll run for re-election, <laughs> I imagine it's because she's not sure what party she'll be running God, for. She got what hit by the ugly we stick. we hear from Carrie Lake at a rally or since that tells you she learned something from losing in... 2022. She didn't learn nothing. I should add, she did, still has not conceded. <laughs> I think her biggest problem is the sequel. She's never conceded, quite but it's, she it's hasn't conceded. To replicate that magic, that excitement, and uh, how does she garner all that again for another statewide race? I just, I think the the hill is very steep. And the thing is, while I'm far removed from the type to help Jeb Bush get elected, that's Jeb Bush, Donald, not the one who led the U.S. into Iraq. Tim Miller's points are <laughs> spot on, and echo points made by none other than Pete Buttigieg regarding Republican public housing <laughs> strategy, which is basically all outrage, no solution. Obviously, there are issues with the border and with migration, but these are the kinds of stunts you see from people who don't have a solution. Where have these Governor DeSantis was in Congress? Where was he when they were debating immigration reforms? 
Where, what have any of these people done to be part of the solution? You care? You say you care about the fentanyl crisis and our kids. I deep care deeply. Okay, well, so, you know, I get if you're after attention. It's one thing to call attention to a problem. When you have a course of action, as, as some of the folks here speaking up about an issue, exercising their First Amendment rights have done or in, in elected office. It's another to just call attention to a problem because the problem is actually more useful to you than the solution, and that helps you call attention to yourself. Hey, Midas Mighty, love this report? Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch, to keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now. She don't need no Instagram. <laughs> Taperdon keeps losing in every court. One simple but brilliant trick to leave your home in 90 seconds and save thousands of dollars Desperation on your grows. bill this winter. Legal AF. Renewed attacks on Judge Angoron's law clerk are featured prominently in a brand new motion for mistrial filed today by Trump in the New York civil fraud case. Is it a violation of the gag order against attacking the law clerk? Or does it just skate by? Is there any merit to the motion for mistrial? And what are the chances the trial judge and later the appellate court will rule for Trump as the case continues into its seventh week? And why did Trump pick Don Jr. to be its, his leadoff roadmap witness? And why did the judge declare that most of his testimony was irrelevant? The mystery of who leaked to the media, the Georgia Fulton County DA oh, shit, proper videos four days ago all those lawyers that got convicted and why it was done has been solved <clears throat> by hearing today with presiding judge scott mcafee on the district attorney's emergency motion for protective order why did someone confess during the video hearing and what did judge mcafee let slip about his inner thoughts about having to be the trial judge in the case and earlier in the week the district attorney revealed in a tv interview that she does not see her case against Trump going to trial any earlier than early spring with no chance that it concludes before the presidential election. Oh, what does that mean for the timing of Jack Smith's D.C. election interference case, the Mar-a-Lago obstruction and espionage case, or even the Stormy <clears throat> Daniels hush money cover-up business record fraud case in New York? Speaking of the D.C. election interference case, we are full steam ahead with Judge Chutkin, presiding as she gets ready to pick a jury on time for a March 2024 trial, while the D.C. Court of Appeals considers the special counsel's opposition to Trump's appeal <coughs> to permanently block the gag order from applying to him to allow more violent rhetoric to continue. All of this and so much more that will pop into our head at the appropriate time when we see the record light on this midweek edition of Legal AF with your co-anchors, Michael Popak and Karen Friedman Ignifolo. Karen, DC, Florida, New York, Georgia. How many of these criminal cases get tried, in your view, before the November election? One. I, I say think. one, possibly two, but really one. We'll be lucky to get one. Yeah, and what's your, I totally agree with you. What is your, people think we planned this one. She had no idea that was coming. Uh, what is your second, if there was a second? It would be Alvin Bragg's story.
Stormy Daniel election interference case. You and I, you know, they say people as they get to know each other and they grow old together, they start to look alike and sound alike. That's so right. I so totally agree with you. All right. Well, that's a good way. That's a good opener for our first segment. Let me just adjust my head, as our producer likes to say, line them up a little bit better um, of our first segment. Let's talk about New York. Uh, we were going to start the podcast talking about Don Jr., but then, um, as often threatened, uh, the Trump side finally got around to filing a motion for mistrial. There was some clamor in the courtroom about a day or so ago and some wild speculation that they were talking settlement up at the front bench, as the judge Ben-Goran likes to call his, his caucuses with lawyers, and I made it clear from practicing here that I did not think that was a settlement discussion. If that was going to be a settlement discussion, that would take place in the court's chambers away from prying eyes as well as ears. Uh, but now we, we speculate that the, what was going on up at the front bench was a discussion about the motion for mistrial being filed and Alina Haba making some sort of representation that there was it would be very delicate. They were going to very delicately raise the issues because the judge was concerned that they were going to violate the gag order by some of the things that they suggested they were going to raise. I did a hot take on this particular filing, and but now it's time for Karen to weigh in. Karen, you've had an opportunity to read the 30 pages or so with supporting affidavits. Got it right here in my hot little hand of the motion for mistrial. And who, who features prominently in it? Well, for me, it's two things. The concept I've never heard of and became a drinking game for me on my hot take of co-judge, that the principal law clerk is the co-judge. They fell in love with that term. They used it over and over again in the brief. It really has no real meaning to me. We'll talk about it. And, mm -hmm. of course, front and center is a frontal assault on the law clerk by name, by political donations, by photo, uh, in order to argue that there's some sort of nefarious thing going on because, oh, my God, the principal law clerk in New York sits next to the judge and helps them do their job, which is to maintain continuity and track seven, no, it'll be 14 weeks of trial testimony and evidence and thousands of pages. What if, as if they expect the trial judge to just keep it all in his head before he renders his opinion as the trier of fact. I, my, one, my, my one last comment before I turn it over to you. The people mm -hmm. on the Trump side who filed their affidavits trying to argue like they were some sort of experts about New York procedure don't know what the heck they're talking about. They've never tried a multiple week trial in front of a judge in the New York Supreme Court because if they had, and I have, you would know that he needs help in keeping track of all the evidence and all the record, the testimony, the transcript, and, and that's the role of the principal law clerk. Karen, what did you make, give your spin and your hot take here about the filing, and then what do you think the odds are that either Angoron and or the appellate court is going to find a mistrial because of the issues raised in the motion? Yeah, so let's just remind people what a, what a motion for mistrial is, because there are different motions that, that the defense will make. One is a motion for a directed verdict at the end of the government's case, uh, which is made after all of that evidence was put on. Um, and then they, they say, look, there is no evidence against me. Can you dismiss it? But another motion that you can make at any time, if you are a defense attorney, is a mistrial motion. And what, and you're, what you're basically saying is something went amiss. That's really not a play on words. I just 
made that up, but it really is saying something is, isn't going right. Something is prejudicial uh, and that the trial, something happened during the trial that makes it so that it cannot go on. Something's just re really inappropriate. Now I can't get a fair trial. You can also get a mistrial if, if somehow for some reason someone gets sick or a jury can't reach a verdict. There are many reasons for a mistrial, but it means the trial has to end for whatever ha for whatever reason it can't go on and you either it's either dismissed with prejudice or without prejudice and so here they finally did the mistrial motion that they said they were going to do and they basically are saying this case should there should be a mistrial okay so this this particular trial shouldn't continue and uh, and it should be with prejudice and it's because the judge and the clerk are biased against Trump and that's the kind of long shot legal um, legal maneuver that they're hanging their, their hat on. Um, and, you know, look, they're basically asking the judge to say that the judge is biased and that his clerk is biased. <laughs> so, of course, that's never going to happen in a million years. Whether or not they have made a sufficient record for an appellate court, uh, I highly doubt they will see that as well. I think the judge has bent over backwards to uh, be lenient in terms of giving a lot of leeway to the defense who has now started presenting their case. And I think the judge will have shown there, there were lots of objections that the government made that the judge overruled in favor of Trump and the Trumps, et cetera, the defense. And I think there will be a sufficient record that um, that the judge and the clerk were not biased against them. But, you know, interestingly, what, what really stuck out here um, in my mind was the fact that this mistrial motion that they made really seemed to have ad hominem attacks, again, on the clerk and gratuitous naming, including with photos, of the clerk, which, you know, my first reaction was this is clearly a violation of the gag order. You know, that the gag order that, that don't forget, Trump has already been, um, already been found to have violated twice. And one of the times he was actually found not credible. If you remember, he, he went outside and he made a speech about, about the person sitting next to the judge, you know, and um, that was clearly a violation of the gag order. And, and the defense attorney came in and said, no, no, they weren't re referring to the law clerk. They were referring to the witness. I think it was Michael Cohen at the time. And the judge said, uh, no, 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 put, I want to put Donald Trump on the stand under oath. And he did. He testified under oath. He said he meant mm -hmm. Michael Cohen, not law clerk and the judge found him not credible and fined him like fifteen thousand dollars i think total in these fines um but it doesn't matter they they are they don't seem to think that the gag order uh applies to them and they went on and on about how the evidence of bias is, is tangible and overwhelming and it has tainted the proceedings um, and, you know, look, they, they went back into a, a high school alumni newsletter and they looked into um, the law clerk's uh, political donations, which interestingly, I thought when I first saw that, you know, law clerks aren't supposed to give uh, political donations. But apparently um, she had there's an exception because she's trying to uh, get she's trying to run for judge. And so, you know, apparently she's allowed to do that now in New York, if she's running to be on the ticket for a judge, it's almost all democratic. So it wouldn't be surprised if 
because New York's very democratic. I wouldn't be surprised if um, if that were the case. If but you know, I don't know that that's. I don't see how anything they wrote in there would be a, a basis for a mistrial. And I don't think that the. I don't think that the appellate courts, who all have clerks, by the way, that help them. I don't think they're going to take lightly to this. What about you? What do you think? Yeah, I don't think the appellate court is going to take kindly, as you said, to Judge Angoron or our entire. I'm going to I'm going to defend now. You and I are New York bar members. The entire New York State Supreme Trial Court system is under attack by outsiders who don't know a darn thing about how things work here. Chris Geisel works in Florida. Alina Haba is a New Jersey lawyer that works out of a Regency uh, co-sharing space in Manhattan. It's not her primary office. Um, and so she's not a New York lawyer. She doesn't like head down to 60 Center Street on a regular basis and fly her trade. And Cliff Robert, the other lawyer that I think they lean on for New York practice, practices out of Long Island. Nothing wrong with Long Island. It's just not Manhattan. And the fact that they don't understand the role of the principal law clerk in a long bench trial where the judge is the trier of fact to manage the documents, to even forget manage the documents, as I said in my hot take, to go further. To say to the judge, in terms of a human being, not artificial intelligence, but real intelligence, to say to the judge, that thing that Don Jr. just said this week doesn't comport with what he said two weeks ago when the New York Attorney General had him on the stand, and here are the two transcripts that show the mismatch judge. That's not advocacy. That's not co-judging. That's being a proper law clerk, just like when my law clerks working for me and I'm in a courtroom because it takes a village to put on a trial, let alone decide a trial, hands me the right document at the right time for the right witness. It's not, oh, oh Michael Popak's law clerk is co-lawyering. No, they're doing their job to assist the professional. These are power professional positions. And the law clerk has a defined role that's completely different than in most places. And a lot of, as I said on a hot take, federal court, they have law clerks who generally just came out of law school or recently out of practice. They're not usually members of the bar and they work for a couple of years for that particular judge. They write a lot of the orders. It would be the equivalent of you and me in federal court saying, we object to the law clerk for the federal judge writing the first draft of the order. The judge should be doing that. Oh my God. And making everything that's ordinary and mundane sound nefarious, which is what they're doing here in their attacking brief. And I, I agree with you. I think that <clears throat> the ridiculous criticism of how Angoron is running his courtroom, consistent with New York practice, the principal law clerk is different than in most states here in New York. Every principal law clerk is a lawyer. This principal law clerk was a senior trial lawyer for the uh, Corporation Council of the City of New York, meaning she was the municipal lawyer doing civil litigation. She's very skilled. She didn't get the judgeship this time. She'll probably, based on Donald Trump, will probably give her enough um, brand uh, pump that she'll get the election next time. But they're not, I haven't observed a darn thing that's that's inconsistent with my experience in these courtrooms. And, and they're, but everything to them is, oh, she sits next to the judge. Every staff sits next to the judge. Could be the bailiff, could be the deputy, could be the clerk, could be the law, the principal law clerk. They all sit there. It doesn't make them a co-judge. That's what that's he's not like he's not sharing his chair. There's another desk up there that was built for a reason. And so when the, when the first department gets this, it's gonna be a whole lot of 
well, I'll use an example from my own career. I once had a judge who, who was my opponent who loved this one piece of evidence in this case and fell in love with it and kept bringing it up at every hearing. And finally, at summary judgment, they lowered the lights and they put on this presentation, this PowerPoint presentation featuring this key piece of evidence, sort of like the attack on the law clerk. And then they were all breathless about it. Oh my God, judge, this is the worst thing. And the lights came up and the judge, like Judge Engoron, looked at my opponents and said, tell me that's not your entire case. <laughs> tell me you have more than that. Just, and you could just hear the deflation. It was like somebody popped a balloon in our, and they ended up losing the trial. This was a pre-trial, like, like now, like a pre-hearing uh, pre issue. The first department is going to hate the attacks on the law clerk and on the judge, and is going to deny this, and nothing is going to stop the completion of this trial sometime before Christmas, and then the person they're attacking, the two people they're attacking, who are not going to get replaced, are going to write the decision, likely, as you and I talked about last week, to nail Trump for at least five out of six of the remaining fraud counts and then take away his buildings, his real estate, his houses, and his money. And so I don't think this is a great place to be if you're the if you're the if you're the defendant to be attacking the judge and then hoping you get a reversal from the first department or ultimately the court of appeals, the highest court in New York. Uh, based on something this judge did wrong. If you're banking on that, you're going to lose your company. I have a question, <clears throat> Popov. Sorry, a little frog in my throat. Um, I have a question. You said I have, you said, you started this with, I have to defend our New York court practice. So unlike me, who's really spent their career in New York, you have, you practice in Florida and other places. Are you saying that, that, the practice of law clerks really aren't, I just assumed that's everywhere because that's so entrenched and ingrained in New York practice. I just assumed that's what all courts and judges no. do. Is that not yeah. interesting? Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll give Hi, you an I learned something every episode. I, I'll give me too from you. I, 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 um, I'll give you an example of Florida because I practice a lot in Florida. I practiced there for 20 years and practiced here for 30 years. And so Chris Kais and I are sort of, you know, have a similar background in that. In Florida, in the trial level, there is no principal law clerk. There is a, there's no clerk. There's no, most judges don't take on a clerk from a law school. They have what's called a judicial assistant or a JA. They are a paralegal or administrative person that is like a, it's like an air traffic controller, controls all the scheduling and the briefs. Now you gotta make sure you're on the right side of the JA or you're not gonna get that emergency hearing that you need, or you gotta get that brief in to the judge and it's a little bit later, it's missing something. And they're and they they're the gatekeeper for the judge. They put, but other than a different title, what is the difference? In other words, it sounds like it's- They're not writing, well, they're not, well, they're only doing the administrative things that I just outlined. The JA in Florida is not writing first drafts of opinions, is not sitting with the judge and handing notes in generally and saying, that guy there, he said something different three weeks ago. You know, the judge is sort of on their own and they don't rely on the JA for that. In federal court, it's a little bit closer. You know, as you know, in federal court, the law clerk, which is not a lawyer, is usually a law student who just graduated and has this plum position that, you know, that they want this federal clerkship. Um, they do, they, they take notes during all of the hearings or trials. The judge will often ask them, like Judge Angoron is doing at a break or even during the trial, 
that last comment that that person, is that consistent with what the appraiser said two days ago? Wasn't there a document? Oh, yes, Judge, hold on. There was an exhibit. That's the clerk. And the clerk will often write the first draft of the of the uh, decisions by the judge. And, so, and I know a lot of law clerks, and they will tell you very little of what I wrote got changed by the judge. He'll say, I want the ruling to be in favor of the plaintiff on this issue. Go write the, go write the decision. And they write the decision, and then the judge says, okay, his major or her major addition to it is adding the signature. So that's the federal law clerk system. New York is sort of a hybrid. The principal law clerk is not a co-judge, but handles almost like a federal magistrate, handles a lot of the discovery and pre... You rarely see your judge until way late in the case on some major issue. Until then, your quote-unquote judge is your principal law clerk who meets with you, who sits and tries to decide on discovery disputes, about deposition scheduling, very little gets through to the judge except major, major issues. But if you don't treat that person like they are a judge, and a lot of them become judges, that is a stepping stone in New York to becoming a judge, principal law clerk. I'm in front of a judge right now in the commercial division. Her last job was principal law clerk. So they have a unique role that's sort of federal magistrate, sort of federal law clerk, a little bit administrative, but not co-judge. And so all they're pointing out is their ignorance, the Trump side, about what the role of that position is in a civil practice or even criminal in New York State Supreme Court. Did I get that? Did I answer that? Did I answer you that? Did. No, it's fascinating, actually. It's fascinating. I find it fascinating having practiced in multiple jurisdictions around. But it is unique. I mean, if people who don't know Principal Law Clerk New York just don't get it, and they don't want to get it. They want to point out the obvious. You know, it's like the old... Um, Casablanca, you know, when the uh, when the uh, when they were astonished that there was gambling going on in the casino. Oh, there's gambling going on. You know, same thing here. If any New York lawyer worth his salt standing next to these two, he would say, you can't make these arguments. All you're doing is commenting on normal garden variety New York practice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah so, so much other things have been going on in this case, too, this week. Yeah. Talk about Don Jr. What you think about six hours of hearing about how grandpappy Trump built brothels in, uh, in Canada, in the, uh, in the Yukon, uh, who cares? He, you know, I'll start it this way. Don Jr. for me disqualified himself as a, as a recipient witness with knowledge about anything relevant to the case, which is a defined time period and the use of fraudulent or cooked statements of financial conditions by his father, because he kept saying, I don't know what been, oh, well, that's why I hire other people. I don't, I wasn't involved with that. I didn't know it. I don't know how much that's worth. I wasn't involved with the appraisal. So what's he doing being the number one witness, uh, which is usually your best witness, your roadmap witness, why him? And how effective was that? Karen? Well, I think they wanted to try to charm the judge and get out all the things that, that, Trump Sr. wanted to get out, but was unable to, because uh, it was largely irrelevant to the case, most of what, what Don Jr. did and said on the stand. And But the judge allowed it. He, the judge said, you know what, I'm letting them try the case. I'm going to let them put in as much as they want to put in. And I think they're going to be hard-pressed to say that he was biased against the Trumps are against the defense, given how much leeway he gave them and how much irrelevant stuff that they gave him. I'll start by saying he is creepy AF. Okay. I, I read about what the way he's, he thinks he's charming, but
but in the grossest way. Okay. In like, he, apparently he said to the, he said to the sketch artists who are like the nicest, I, I, I know most of the New York sketch artists, they're the nicest women. They work really hard and he walks up to them and he's like, Hey, you know, make me look sexy. I'm like, ew. Like, why do women have to deal with that? Why do women have to like hear men talk like that to them as if that's somehow charming and another time he used the sexy word again another time i can't remember in what context because i was so grossed out by by him he's just so like just creepy you know but anyway apparently he was quite charming and you know that the judge thought he was he was a, a showman if you will but let him do what he wanted to do and he was like a commercial for for his family he was you know my father's an artist my father can can take a swamp and see the vision. My father invented the luxury apartment building and invented combining hotels with with apartments in the same building and putting gyms in there. I mean, maybe his father did. I don't know, but you know, he's a visionary and and he invented everything. And, and the judge let him do it. I mean, I thought it was a little, you know, it, it was it was telling that there that one of the things they put into evidence was was their marketing materials that had lies in it you know it had that that 40 wall street was i think 73 stories high when it's only like 60 something so like 61 or 62 stories high something like that like they just they lie so much they can't keep track of them they don't even know what are lies anymore because just everything they do is so is so just off the top of their head however however they want to do anything and you know, it, it, it's just interesting how how it's clear that that the way he just reveres his father. Mm -hmm. And I just again, I don't know how that really helps the case very much other than it was much more of the finger pointing towards others. You know, why well, nothing to do with it if there were if there were uh, mistakes, the experts that, that charm offensive. You know, look, the meat and potatoes part of of the trial is also starting to happen. Right. I mean, they they put on a uh what the, an expert witness today, um, you know, the, um, his name is Whitcoff or something like that. He's like this big, huge New York real estate guy who, who met Trump in the, in the eighties. And I guess Trump didn't have any money. So he bought him a sandwich. I don't know. <laughs> he, he, every building in New York, especially lower Manhattan, uh, where, Trump didn't where have I'm any very money, familiar so with that area. He, he apparently is the guy who who built everything, right? He's like the rival Trump in the New York, but unlike Trump. I've never even heard of him. Hole. I don't know his name. I can't even remember his name. You'll, you'll, I'm sure add it. He's the, by the way, he's not that big. He also was a lawyer that represented Trump back in the day. All right. Well, what's his name? Whitcuff. Whitcuff. Oh, he's got it. Okay, see you later.